What is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today I am sharing an episode that I recorded with my friend Jordan Lips on his podcast where optimal meets practical. Now you might remember Jordan was a guest fairly recently. So this was another great conversation. I know I got a ton of good feedback on our conversation we had on this show. Now within this conversation we dug pretty deep into program design, progressions, really meeting a client where they're at within their programming, all based around building lean muscle. So if you are struggling to figure out what to do with your programming to make it more effective, or if you're a coach trying to figure out how to create the best programs for your clients, I know you'll take a ton of value from this episode. Um, I'm also going to link up in the show notes where you can listen to Jordan's podcast, where you can find Jordan, where you can sign up for his group training, etc. All that is in the show notes. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Jeremiah, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, what is up, dude? I am stoked to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. We had a good chat last time on your podcast, and I figured that we would, I mean, I was going to say return the favor, but it's its really a favor to me to have you on, and we're going to talk about some really fun, <laughs> mostly, the title of this podcast is Priorities for Hypertrophy, or something like that. I haven't really decided just yet, but before we start, and we're going to jump into like what you should be worried about in terms of hypertrophy, what are the variables that we're going to look at, we're going to try and slot them into some you know, hierarchy of importance in terms of ordering them in some order of importance. Um, but before we start, you recently got a dog and you we talked a little bit on your Instagram and I resonated with it a ton. So I want to hear about how that's going and then we can talk about hypertrophy stuff after. Oh, dude. So, I mean, I've always been someone who like, I like dogs, like who doesn't like dogs, right? But I was, ne- I never really got it when people were, were like full-blown crazy dog parent until we got our dog. So straight up, I was pretty worried about getting our dog. Like, you know how it is when you have the online business, you know, the amount of time it consumes and she was going to be home with me all day. But dude, I love our dog so much. Like it's, I honestly think, especially like this first, so like, well, the first like six weeks we had her, it was like every night one of us had to sleep out there on the floor by our cage so that she wasn't like whining and like take her out three or four times a night. But it was like, it's crazy how that stuff or like, I'll be like on calls with new clients and she's like pooping on the floor or (laughs) whatever it may be. Like, it's crazy how much that actually is like what bonds you to your dog. Like I never want to have kids now because I imagine, (laughs) I imagine that that's like that six weeks, but like for years and years and years. Um, But I get it now when people like, having your own kids is different. Whereas, you know, like right now it's like, Hey, do you want to hold my baby? And it's like, Oh man, not really, but I guess I will because I'm a good dick. It's, uh, no dude, our dog is the cutest. She's a bull terrier. So she's kind of like the target dog, but a brindle. Um, she's definitely what she's like six months old now. And she's the last couple of weeks, she's gotten a lot more energy. She had a lot of energy before. So she's definitely like my steps are way up, which is very, very helpful. So kind of what I've had if you want to get your steps up, but, um, no dude, it has been, I honestly didn't think I could like love a dog that much. Like it's kind of been a crazy experience actually. And it is cool. Like it's kind of tacky to say like people or dogs change your life, but I will say like, it's been super cool to like have her just like she's over here, like sleeping in my office all day and like, go like sing to her every 90 minutes, tell her how much I love her, cuddle with her for a little bit, then get back to work. It's, I don't, I don't know, dude, it's, it sounds fucking weird, but it's like such a, it's just like, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I asked you because when you posted on Instagram, I, I like, I actually was not a pet person. I didn't get it. I didn't get it, but it was further than that. It's not that I didn't like pets. I had pets when we were very young and then I was allergic. And, and so we didn't have pets anymore. Um, and then after that, I just like kind of didn't understand. I thought people were just, and again, listen, if you don't, if you're out there and you're like, I don't have a pet and I also don't understand what these two idiots are talking about. Like, okay, no big deal. Like I was you also once. Um, and Jenna, when I met Jenna, she had a dog and I'll never forget the first time going, going over to her house. And he like came, his name is Jack. He like came and like jumped up on my leg. And I just like, I just didn't even know how to act. Like I just didn't care. Like I didn't understand at all. And there's like just that like meme slash, saying of like the dad who didn't want the dog and then it's like fast forward to like the dog the dad like on his back like like playing with that's literally me oh, like yeah. there was like a video of like the the dad who didn't want the dog and then he's outside like doing a photo shoot with the dog and i'm like this is literally me like i literally now i have pro- like little mental health issues like about how much i love her like and so it's been a super great experience you know touche or cliche like you said to say like changes your life but i mean it's 
whatever. I mean, it's a microcosm. A microcosm might even be mean, but it's a microcosm of having a child, you know? And so there's like uh, some stepping stone correlations there to some degree. I don't want to make it sound like it's the same as having kids. It's not. It's different. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree. My my buddy, I work from home and I will for the foreseeable future. We spend a ton of time together. My steps are up, like a ton of bonding. So really, really fun. Oh, yeah. No, it, it has been great. Um, no, I best one of the best decisions you made for sure. Awesome. All right. Let's jump into the getting jacked stuff. So we're going to talk about progression first, and we're going to talk about maybe a couple different ways you can go about progression or just the ways that we would go about thinking about progression specifically for, for programming for our online clients. And then we're going to talk about like the discussion of how many sets per muscle group per week. Like, do I use RIRRP? Like, what's my rep range? You know, what are these things that matter for hypertrophy? And I think I'd like to just kick it off with a discussion of like the most important thing potentially being progression over time. Like, how do you go about doing that for your clients? Okay. So when it comes to progression over time, I mean, the most, this is, and just like, I think you started our podcast by saying, I think we can both assume that everything here is going to be pretty generalized and very much like it's going to depend on where you're coming from. Same thing is very important here. So I'll say like, even when a client is starting, like right out of the gate, what progression we are going to use is going to vary quite a bit based on where they're at, right? So for progression over time, everybody's heard of progressive overload, right? Like you see the picture of whoever the hell that dude was carrying the bowl. And like, as the bowl gets bigger, he gets more jacked. Is it Milo? It's Milo, yeah. Okay, yeah, right. Like, and It also might not be Milo. And now somebody's going to be yelling at the, <laughs> at, the, at the mic for us, but okay, exactly. whatever. Confidently regardless, yeah. we can't yeah. hear you guys on the other side of the mic. Um, but so over time to get more jacked and there's, it's a lot more nuance than just like, Hey, you need to lift heavier weights over time. Right. But over time, like within the five to 30 rep rate on any given movement, we should see you getting stronger. Let's say like within any given rep range, we do want to see you getting stronger. And I would, I would also love if like we can make this conversation kind of like a conversation similar to our last podcast versus me just like, trying to sound smart because I'm not that smart first and foremost, but I want to hear your thoughts on how you go about this as well. Cause I want to learn from you, but that's kind of like our foundation. So we want to see you getting stronger over time right now within that, I know we discussed on our episode, like the um, Renaissance periodizations progression of pushing your RIR over the course of a mesocycle. So basically at the start of a mesocycle, oftentimes we'll start at around, Hey, I'm going to leave about two reps in the tank on each set. And then I just want to push a little bit harder each week until eventually I get to the point where I can only do like, maybe I couldn't do another rep with good form, right? I'm like at zero to one RIR, maybe at most I could squeeze out one more rep with good form. So within that, like the thing here is a mistake that a lot of people get stuck in is like, and you'll see a lot of people that go to the gym and it's okay. I've been doing three sets of 10 on all my movements for years and years and years with the same weight, right? Same rep scheme, same movements. And I haven't been progressing. I think that's so common. People just get stuck in that. And it's like, well, I'm in the gym, I'm lifting weights. So I should be even stronger. Right. And the reality is, and there's like so much that goes into this. So <laughs> this in turn, I know that the theory of effective reps, I've seen like Greg Knuckles kind of talk about like, Hey, this might not be like the end all be all, which I think probably was nothing that we know as of now is end all be all. But as of now, to me, it makes the most sense. So basically the thought process within this is, um, it's thought that really five reps try a failure to failure are going to be the most stimulative for muscle growth, right? The closer we get to failure, the more muscle fibers, we recruit and fatigue. And then when we hit absolute failure, um, we're basically at the point where our muscle is nearly fully fatigued and we've recruited most of those muscle fibers. That's going to send the stimulus to your body. Like, Hey, this is a stress that I wasn't ready for. I need to adapt and get bigger and or stronger in order to better handle this the next time. Right. It's very similar to how like the first time you run a mile, it fucking sucks. But after that, if your cardio is like mine, it does at least, but after that, like over time you get better and better and better at it. And so like to continue to progress, you probably need to do more or run quicker, right? Kind of the same, same thought process applies here, right? So basically we need some type of system to get people to continue to push a little bit harder over time or add load or add more reps with the same load, or like there's a bunch of different factors we could look in here, like changing stimuli, um, all kinds of different things like that. But 
like when we're looking at progression first and foremost, basically the overtime, I would say within any given rep range, we should be looking to progress either via adding load, um, adding reps with the same load, or that could also be something like improving technique. Do you want to get a little bit deeper into that? Or do you have any thoughts on that first? No, I, I think the, the, the things that jump out to me is like, if somebody's fairly overwhelmed about this topic, that the most important thing, whether it's you're doing something that's similar to what Renaissance periodization does, which is something I've done with clients in the past where you begin a couple reps shy of failure on all your sets, and then you move progressively closer to failure across the mesocycle, ending in something like a peak week where you're mostly at failure and then you deload and you restart. What we're looking at here is like before we discuss, and even if we don't discuss, because I think it's more important to just have the discussion of, hey, what's most important is that you probably start your mesocycle with easier training. And when I say easier, that is some combination of probably slightly lower volume, probably slightly on average further from failure. Um, and that would the reasoning behind that would be because you're, you know, um, we're assuming you're coming off of a deload or some time off or you're just picking up training again. And you're going to be relatively, relatively speaking, more sensitive to the training stimulus. And so for us to get the most by doing the least, we actually get to have an opportunity in this moment to do a little bit less. But as you have uh, subsequent consecutive weeks of hard training, that threshold for adaptation goes up. We need a little bit more stimulus over time. This is not like every single week we add a set to every single exercise and you're ending up doing quadruple what you're doing in the beginning. But this is in general, we are trending from slightly easier training in the beginning of the mesocycle, or we could say less hard training because it should not be easy. We'll talk about that. Um, so less e less hard training in the beginning, trending towards harder training towards the end of the mesocycle, uh, and then deloading and restarting. And so, you know, I think that's number one where you're like, hey, in the beginning of the mesocycle, we should be doing something easier. And, and then something should happen between week one and week six where I'm forcing my body to increase the level of stimuli that I'm getting to surpass that whatever, quote, homeostatic threshold so that we can, like you said, push our body to make adaptations, blah, blah, blah. We need to do more over time. And then the second thing is, you know, we also want to be that's over the course of a mesocycle that's a little bit more broad. And then we're talking about if we break that down, it's like more of a week to week. We're looking at what are the things that we're going to do week to week to ensure that we are working harder. So we have this general idea of working harder over time across the mesocycle. Another way of saying is that is start easier and harder. We could talk about what that means. And then there's a little bit more of like a looking a little bit more zoomed in where we're talking about week to week. How am I going to make those progressions? So I think if you have a program that you send to me and you're like, what do you think about this? And it is three by 10 the entire time with no prescription on how to improve each week. It's missing the boat on both of those. And so we're, I would, I'm not, and it's not like missing the boat means no gains. I'm just saying a good program probably starts off a little bit easier and then has some progressions over time that make it harder. I think that is like very generally what we want to start with. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so like, even if we look within that, like, I know, okay. So like, I believe Eric Helms and his camp, like are a little bit more of a fan of us consistently keeping it around like one to two RIR throughout an entire mesocycle. But I would say like, again, like that three by 10 is such a good example where people will just do the same weight for the same reps for years and years and years. Like I very much like a dynamic double progression within this. So basically I think this is one of the along alongside like, Hey, I just want you to try to push a little bit harder each week. So like you did, you back squatted one or you did hack squat 135 for eight last week. I want you to try to do 135 for nine this week or try to match that weight but use a little bit more load, right? I very much like rather than doing, hey, you're going to do 10 reps on this movement. I really like to prescribe a reference. And this is definitely something that I picked up from working with a team at Revive Stronger as I know you worked with as well where, because what I found is a lot of times, if you just have, Hey, we just have 10 reps prescribed. Like even in my own program currently, I have a lot more like hit 10 reps, hit eight reps. And I found a lot more. It'll be like, for some reason, every time I'm like rep seven, I'm prescribed eight. It's always like, Ooh, okay. This is starting to get hard. This is starting to get hard. Whereas if we have a range where it's like, okay, I want you to focus on, you're going to leave two reps up in the tank within this range. Keep pushing that weight until you get to the point where you have two reps up in the tank. I think people can push a little bit harder over time. And then like, because otherwise people are so prone to like, okay, well I did 10 reps. So I'm going to stop it there and don't really think, okay, how close am I to failure? Right. And to actually, for this to be productive training, we know we do need to be relatively close to failure. And I think that's a big piece that people overlook. So like within this progression of, again, taking it back to dynamic double progression, which I think is Brian from Brian minor. Um, but if we look at it as like, okay, I'm going to start week one with, again, let's say you're doing the hack squat, 
let's say 135 for eight leaves about two reps left in the tank. Okay, this is challenging. I'm gonna try to progress over the on this over the next few weeks until I can do 12 reps with that weight. And then I'm gonna add more load and start the progression over. I think that that's probably my favorite, like within a movement, my favorite way to progress because it's again so simple, but it comes, it allows you to push so much harder. Because again, I think if we just have like one fixed hit X reps, people typically stop there and sell themselves short quite a bit. Yep. I think just to back up one little step, if we're talking about double progression, what Jeremiah is saying is if you're progress, if you're prescribed like eight to 12 reps, uh, you'll probably start with the load that you can do for about eight or let's say the lower end of that rep range or at the very least not 12. And you will work your way up until you can do 12 at that weight, maybe across all sets, maybe on one or two sets, depending on what your coach says. But I think double progression technically says when you can max out the reps on all the sets, then you go up and load and you begin that progression again. Now, there's so funny because there's at least three different ways in my head. Double progression is awesome. I love double progression. Uh I love it for its simplicity where it's like, I could say what I just said where, Hey, when you can do 12 on all your sets go up and load, which will drop the reps and you do that over and over again until you're super jacked. And that by itself, most people can go off and begin doing that on their own and just go ahead and get started. Are there suboptimalities? Maybe, um, you know, it, when we talk about, I'll get a question often about like pyramids, like if I pyramiding your RIR. So doing like a three, two, one, zero RIR where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, instead of doing all my sets of this week at a two, a two RIR, I'm going to do my first set at a three and then a two and then a one. And then I'm going to do failure at the last set of every exercise. It's like something that has just been indoctrinated as to like, this is the way to go. You do one set of failure at the end of every set. Now, what I would say is not to steal the answering to this question, but there's like, uh, I, I did some math the other day because I have two different progression schemes. One of them begins like what we talked about where you are doing the same RIR across all your sets for the whole week. Mm -hmm. And then that entire RIR starts to drop across weeks. So from week one, where you're doing maybe two or three RIR, then, then two, then one or two, then one, then zero across every set for each exercise per workout. Um, You could do something where you do three, two, one, zero. So you're doing four sets of, of chest press. And the first one is a three RIR, then a two, then a one, then you go to failure on that last one. And I was trying to do some math because I have a progression scheme that works like that as well, which involves one set to failure of every exercise. And I was trying to figure out on average where what is the RIR on average across the entire mesocycle when I do the, you know, let's say a more RP style, which, again, is like the same RIR for the entire week. So week one is three RIR, then week two, whatever is two RIR, then one RIR, then failure, then deload. Let's say that's that's like on average about a two RIR. And if you look at it across the entire week and if you take somebody who's like, hey, my coach is telling me to do a three, two, one, zero. And then over the course of time, those numbers sort of drop and we get on average closer to failure. Is that better or worse? And I was doing some math and it comes out to basically the same on average about two RIR, you know, about one to two RIR on average, whether you are doing all of your sets at a certain RIR and then that entirety is progressing closer to failure, or you're doing something like a pyramid style where your RIR is going down and you're doing one hard set to failure at the end of every set. It's like, okay, that three, two, one, zero over time might become a two, one, one, zero, and then a one, 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 zero, and then a one, one, zero, zero. And if you add up all those numbers and divide it by how many sets you did, it comes out to roughly similar. And so I was thinking to myself, what would be, how would I make a, like, what would be the the deal breaker? Like, what would be the thing that pushes me over the edge? And so one thing I'll say is what, what would your thoughts be on if I were to say that maybe it'd be beneficial to do the pyramid style where you're more frequently training to failure, not, not on average more, but more frequently, AKA in, in the end of every exercise because of that, like maybe benefit in terms of recalibrating what failure really feels like that practice for new clients. Like, is that something that you take into consideration? Yeah. So I would say with a lot of new clients who I don't think necessarily know how to get to failure. And I think we discussed this on our podcast last week, because a lot of people won't actually, or however many weeks ago that was, a lot of people won't actually know what true failure feels like. Typically the entire first mesocycle, I'm going to prescribe something like, I want you to leave one rep in the tank. Right. And really that first mesocycle, we're almost always working on improving form because before we take it to like all out technical failure, we want to make sure that we are actually like leaving said reps or we're actually mastering your technique. Then that next mesocycle is typically where like we will start pushing more movements to failure um, just to make sure the clients actually have a good gauge for what that feels like. Now, what I'll say is like what you described there. Again, the thing is like the average RIR is pretty similar. I, I'm a fan of both and I use both 
in theory or in practice. Um, I don't honestly, I was actually going to ask you what your take on that was like, which is better because I can't necessarily say which I think is better. It kind of depends on the client and like how the recovery ability is, because what I'll say is I think that a lot of people have, so if it's like a client that is, has a higher stress lifestyle, they too do tend to recover a little bit lower. Even then, like if we're looking at your compound movements, uh, a lot of times I've still found, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this, but I've still found that like, Hey, if we're taking your compounds to a zero to one RIR every week, some people, and again, this varies by person, some people will have a little bit more trouble progressing that across like four to five weeks of the mesocycle. Whereas if it's like, Hey, we're building up to this over time again, this is all anecdote. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, whereas if we use like, Hey, we're going to go two, one to two, one, zero to one, for example, I've typically found people that do have trouble recovering again, like have a higher stress lifestyle. Uh, maybe their sleep isn't the best, et cetera can sometimes handle that a little bit better. That said, a lot of times I'll also use both of these within the same muscle cycle. So like what I'll do a lot of times is, okay, for our compound lifts, we are going to um, do like this two across weeks, we're going to progress your RIR. Whereas with your isolation work, maybe we are going to like start at two and over time, like that last set, I do want you to take that to all out failure, right? Like overall, that's going to be less fatiguing. You're going to be able to recover from that quicker. So I think there's definitely room for both as well. Um, I will say though, like if it is someone who is newer to the gym, I think that, fuck, I honestly can't give you a great answer here because this is something I've been playing with and just trying to figure out myself. I honestly don't think I have a much better answer than that, dude. I would be interested to hear your take here because this is something, again, like I would say the last six months that, and typically rather than thinking of it, I always call it like, um, Ascending RIR, descending RIR. I always get those two mixed up. Descending. But um, I've used both quite a bit. I would, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on that. I think you I think you actually said indirectly what I would say. I'd say that, so right now in my group programming, we're doing uh, more of a, let's say somebody has four sets of of bicep curls. We're doing something like a three, two, one, zero RIR where we're taking that last mm-hmm. set to failure. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I find actually that, I've been doing the other method for a long time where we'd keep the static RIR for all the sets. Uh, we let mm-hmm. the sets drop in rep. If that's what happens, I'm finding that people train harder on average when they do something like a f- set to failure at the end of every exercise. Now, what you said is that some people with a high stress lifestyle might not be able to, to sustain that level of effort. And so it's the same argument that I actually think people are trained harder on average with this more consistent recalibration to failure. Now that's not, okay. that doesn't come without downsides, which is the downsides of what you said is like some people who have a stress bucket that's nearly full and they layer on top of that more hard training than they can recover from. That could be a negative thing. And so we, we would actually want, we don't want, we don't want more hard training. We want the right amount of the right difficulty training. And so for some people yeah. that, that like, you know, Hey, this is going to make me train harder. That might not be the be all end all for, for everybody. And so I'm finding that that is one one pro is that a lot of people, especially in the group and some of my more recent one-on-one clients who are getting a different change in, in pers- uh, prescription here are finding that they're training harder on average. Even if the RIR on average should be the same, this constant recalibration of one set to failure, maybe it's a sensation thing. Maybe it's just a feedback of like, I feel like I went harder today because of that one set, um, which physiologically is meaningless, but from a enjoyment and and you know your client being uh, able to adhere for the long term then that might be a little check in that in that box on that side but what i yeah. definitely believe and i what i, I kind of want to want to move on some, from this discussion is that it is most important that on average you start with slightly easier training and end on average with slightly harder training how you progress across that is going to be some combination of what is physiologically optimal and what is most practical for the person to adhere to and i find that there's you know, the method of, hey, let's do three RIR for all our sets on week one and then just match or beat reps and load until we die and then deload. Like that is such an easy thing to explain to the average person. It's very easy for somebody to who's never worked with RIR to get because you really only have to calibrate mostly in that first week. And then after that, you can just say, hey, match or beat un- until the end of the mesocycle. So I think that there's certainly pros and cons. We're going to put a pin in that. We're going to talk. We're going to move to a discussion of of volume and set numbers and you know, the question that I'll inevitably ask you is, you know, what do you say and how would you answer the question of how many number of sets per muscle group per week? But we'll start with a more broad discussion of like, when people talk about the main driver of hypertrophy, is it volume? Is it intensity? Is it something else? And, and we'll go back and forth on that. 
Oh man. Okay. So this is another thing that is very much debated. I think for a very long time, like probably as both of us were coming up in the fitness industry, we heard over and over and over volume is the main driver of hypertrophy. But I mean, again, like taking it back to the discussion we just had, because these two are very much interrelated. You have to have that threshold of intensity to actually stimulate muscle growth. Right. So I think that from my perspective, I would say intensity is more important than volume without adequate intensity. We really can't grow. Whereas like if you're someone who has limited time and you only can train like two days per week, if you go to like train full body two days per week and like take like two to three sets to failure, like that will be on each movement. That will be the stimulus that you need to grow. So I would argue that intensity is more important. I mean, even taking it back to the discussion, what we had before, like to sum that up, because there was one more thing I wanted to add on that. I know we're talking about a long time, but basically what I would say is like within form videos, when we see someone is like typically sandbagging it, that's where I would be more likely to prescribe like, Hey, we are going to go to zero to one RIR every week. Right. And that's like so much of the individualization of coaching where someone who tends to overtrain or push a little bit too hard, probably the other scheme would work better. But anyways, I would, I would say intensity is much more important with adequate technique again like if you're training twice per week and you can take like sets to all-out failure that'll give you the stimulus you need for muscle growth without a ton of volume whereas people can do a shit ton of volume and not necessarily grow or easily get into the realm of junk volume and actually hurt their recovery um so i i would for my end i would say intensity is definitely more important yeah i think that that that's it's not it's not a question uh, there's no, if you just straight up look at this from a, well, if you had one, but not the other, what would the outcome be? If you have a lot of volume and none of that, and when I, when we say volume, we mean like set numbers for now, we're going to, that's how we're going to describe volume. And so it's like, if you do a lot of sets, but none of them are close to failure, you get no gains. If you take a pencil and you sit there and you curl and you do a thousand sets, you, you will get no meaningful hypertrophy. If you do one really hard set to failure, let's say lower sets, lower volume, but higher intensity, I'm not saying you're going to get a ton of hypertrophy, but you will get more hypertrophy than the pencil argument with the thousand sets. And so we have to look at it from a priority of like, if your sets aren't hard enough, there's no amount of extra fucking bullshit sets on top of that that you can layer on and make up for the fact that none of these were stimulative anyway. And 99 out of 100 programs that are sent to me, I'm like, I look at it and I think to myself, if you were if you were taking all of these sets to failure, you would be dead. The only reason you've survived this 35 leg day, set leg day, the only reason you survived this day is because you're not training that hard. You're not training hard yeah. enough. And now you, it doesn't mean that everyone doing that is getting no gains, but they are getting at least inefficient gains from a time perspective and potentially worse gains than they would if they would just do a, a slightly more adequate amount. And so I think when we talk about volume or intensity, it's a marriage of both, but it's certainly a, a statement of if your sets are not hard enough, it just, you can't, you can't fix that with more crappy sets. Right? No, absolutely. And again, I think that it is just a case of so many people have followed, followed a higher volume style of trainers think like, I just need to feel fucking smash. And like your sets should feel hard. But again, like so many people could be so much more efficient if they focus more on intensity instead of like, oh, hell yeah, I did. I'm doing German volume training now. Right. And that's that's the best for hypertrophy. I know like when I first understood volume, I learned it as sets times reps times weight. Right. So I was like, hey, I have chicken legs. I want to get my legs jacked. So I'm just going to throw a 135 on the bar. I'm going to do five sets of 10. None of these are hard, but like I just did a shit ton of volume. Let's grow. My legs are going to get so jacked get so jacked and then like of course it didn't actually work like that because i didn't understand this concept of again the idea of effective reps where i'm getting close enough to failure to actually stimulate growth so that's again just so important to understand yeah i'm finding that it's just really nice that in the group programming that <laughs> shameless plug that i that my group programming um is <laughs> is that i'm finding a lot of people are like oh my god like this i get messages daily like dms of people who are like you know i didn't want to say this in the group but you know it doesn't look like there's a lot of sets like could you explain why that is and and it, it is almost like a moment of like like let me like hold my hand and i will lead you to this more efficient training where you're actually training hard and you're stop doing 75 sets per workout and you're actually getting close to failure and so that has been a really nice i mean that's even one-on-one -on -one coaching as well it's like that's one of the big things that we're like we are going to listen if you need more volume that's fine but we are first going to get this in intensity thing in check like if you if you are crushing the intensity and you could handle more volume then that's great but it's not the other way around 
Right. I kind of look at it almost as, I don't know how good an analogy this is, but imagine we have like an on off switch and then like a dimmer switch where we can turn something like the light up or down, like intensity is kind of like that on off switch, right? Like we have to have it turned on. We have to have adequate intensity at all to get the stimulus we want. And then like, if we need to turn that up a little bit more by adding a little bit more volume, we can, but most people don't need as much as like they think, like we work with a lot of women who are relatively new to training like this. Right. So a lot of times we'll come from training like five to six days per week, but maybe it's something where it's like, whatever, like some toning class where they're never taking anything close to failure. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we're really only going to train three days per week. That's it. It's no trust. Right? So it is cool to see how much more efficient most people can make it. Yeah. Let, let's discuss this question of, because I, honestly, I'm, I don't know about you. You've been podcasting longer than I, and you're a machine, you crank them out. And so I was, I sometimes have people who just are new followers and they go back and listen to some of my old podcasts. And I'm happy that there are things that I would say differently, but I'm also, Mm -hmm. I'm also unhappy that some of those podcasts like still occasionally have something that I'm not. Listen, guys, if you're listening to this, I, most of the things that I've said when I first started the podcast, I totally agree with. And you will know if I make any big changes, I'm going to do an episode in the future with some of the stuff that I want to redo. But I've said before, straight up, I've given number of sets per muscle group per week prescriptions i've told people they need to train each muscle group twice per week and when people ask me like a good one you know number how many how many sets per muscle group per week should i do like how is that a how is that a, a question that's really difficult to answer that's honestly such a hard question to answer because it varies so much by person right like i was listening to a podcast with chris barricat and him talking about even like the studies on like okay x amount of volume per week versus like this number of hard sets per muscle group for week versus this number of hard sets per muscle group for week is superior. Right. But when they do those studies, they don't look at like how much, how much volume was this doing person doing before versus what this was doing before per person was doing before. Like, right. And like, how close were you taking those sets of failure? There are so many variables there. Like the number you'll generally hear thrown out there is I believe 10 to 20 hard sets per muscle group per week is typically what we hear thrown out there. But again, like even within that, that is so damn broad and it depends again, like, Hey, what type of movements are we doing? Are we doing like you're training in a garage gym? So we're like, let's say we're focusing on chest. These are almost exclusively like going to be length and overload movements where that's going to be so much more damaging. Um, than like maybe you're doing like a bunch of chest flies and variations that are going to overload things in the short position. We can probably recover from them a little bit more. Like you probably could recover from a little bit more volume there. What's your stress? Like, what's your lifestyle? Like, like, So I think the thing with the most important thing to understand with muscle growth is like people think it is train hard and you'll get gains, right? When there's so much more to the equation than that, let's imagine again, going to this podcast I listened to with Chris Barrett, which was great. He's in the analogy of imagine like you're digging a ditch, right? Let's imagine like right now you have this flat piece of land. Now, to build muscle, you actually have to elevate the height of that land a little bit, right? So every time you train, let's imagine you dig a ditch, right? Now, to even just get back to your body's previous baseline, we first have to fill that ditch back in. So basically, we have to have the recovery resources to pour into there to fill that back up. And then only once we've reached that point can we actually like elevate the level of the land, so to speak, and grow. Does that analogy make sense at all? Totally. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I mean, the thing within that is we can also get into when it comes to volume, uh, the dose is very important, but also we can get to the point where we're doing too much and we're just digging that ditch deeper and deeper and deeper. We don't have the resources to actually fill it. Like, and a lot of people also will get stuck at this trap with high volume training where, Hey, we're constantly at this place where we can only recover enough to just get back to our previous baseline because we're doing a little bit too much. So thus again, like we can't make progress. Um, man. So like within that, within finding volume, first and foremost, I'll typically look at where the client is coming from, like how much volume were you doing previously? Now, again, a lot of times people will be doing something that was like completely different. So again, like if we're talking about most of the clients that hop on board with us that were like, maybe you're doing some type of classes, you were doing like orange theory or some shit like that. Okay. We can typically, I like to keep volume very, very low here. So I'll say like, let's say you're training three days per week. Typically a safe bet is just to look at, um, about three sets. This is very generalized, but I would say typically starting at about three sets for each movement you're doing. Again, like that's very, very general, but let's say you're training three days per week. You have a variation of squat or lunge, 
a hinge, a push, a pull. Then we probably have like some leg curls, some lateral raises, bicep curls, tricep extensions, et cetera. Typically like in a situation like that, as a very, very broad generalization, if we are training intensely, like three sets on each of those movements is more than enough. Um, man. And then past that, it's really just looking at. So then within a training program, another thing I really like from revive stronger was how they have you rate pump and disruption you achieve from a movement. Right. So then we can look at like, okay, how destructive are these movements? Are you getting a decent pump from these movements? And that's not, again, like neither of those are the end all be all, but I do think those are a good gauge. And then looking at how someone's logbook is progressing over time, right? Like, Hey, from last week to this week, were you able to make progress? Taking it back to what we talked about before, were you able to add a rep with the same weight? Were you able to add a little bit load? Are you getting a pretty decent pump, a pretty decent disruption? Okay. If that's the case, like it seems like you're recovering well, we're probably okay at this amount of volume. If it's a, Hey, recovery really seems to be suffering. Um, okay. Maybe we need to pull volume back a little bit on the flip side. If it's like, Hey, pumps are pretty good. Um, maybe not super high disruption. Isn't super high, but you really seem like you are recovering very well. Energy is great. Like we're not seeing any of these signs that you need to deload or decrease volume. Okay. Maybe that is where we add another set or two. And that can again be specific to like specific muscle groups, right? Like, Hey, maybe your chest is progressing perfectly with your push movements, but Hey, our posterior movements are really slowing down. So maybe we do need to add a little bit more volume there. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, the whole point, I hope, I hope the listener is listening to that and thinking like, well, then this is really fucking confusing. There's so many variables, so many moving parts that <laughs> that answer is really difficult to give. Like if, if you're listening to that and you're confused, like that's probably the, the, the correct outcome because it is a, it is a question that has so much nuance. I was thinking in my head, like first you have the individual and there's probably a bell curve across populations of how much like volume is best for somebody. I think most, some people do really well with super low, a small subset will do really well with super high, but most of us fall into average, uh, just the way it works for everything pretty much. And then we have like a question of like, okay, we're talking about how many sets per muscle group per week. Well, depends how neurotic we want to be about the biomechanics and the, and, and the anatomy because muscle groups have different divisions. Like how many, sets of clavicular pec versus costal pec versus the seven heads of the delt versus, you know, you know, so, so we have to first, you can't be like, yeah, I did, I did three sets of delts today. It's like, man, the delts are at, at the very most like Lego version of anatomy. There are at least three of them, you know? Yeah. And so what does that mean? You know, have you rear delts, anterior delts, lateral delts, like, like, or medial delts, whatever. And so I think that that's our first stop is like, well, I did three sets of lats. It's like, okay, lats have a three divisions, potentially more. And so again, you, you could do a pit stop there and be neurotic about it. You could bypass that and be like, Hey, I'm not even gonna worry about that. Okay. That's a concession that you're making, not being more specific. And then we look at actual exercise selection, which you brought up. It's like, well, are we counting exercises that are more lengthened bias the same as we're counting exercises that are more shortened bias? And so if I'm like, hey, 10 sets per muscle group per week and you're doing all dumbbell presses, which are lengthened mid overload, which are going to be way more damaging uh, and and likely count more towards this overall stimulus than let's say you're doing like a shortened position pec fly on a cable or something like that. Uh, they, they can't count the same. They are not the same. Like if you're doing glutes, are you telling me that when I say 10 sets per glute of glutes per week, that you're counting your sets of RDLs the same as your cable glute kickbacks? Like they count the same. They definitely do not. Uh, and then we talk about proximity to failure. So your sets that are a three RIR and your sets at a zero RIR, we are putting those in the same bucket now. Now you could do some of this stuff, right? Then there's also like, you know, how advanced somebody is. You had mentioned, it's interesting, this discussion of volume as you get more advanced, because I think when we have a, mm -hmm. a rank beginner, very low volume is the general prescription, but a rank, and, and I don't disagree with that, but there's also a consideration of like a rank beginner is very neurologically inefficient and they're not right. good at, at contracting on command, the target musculature. They're not good at isolating failure. If they take a bicep curl to failure, their technique is not ingrained. Their motor patterns are not ingrained. They're not actually being super specific where that failure is coming from. Sometimes they're incorporating, you know, the front delt and they're, they're shaking and, and swinging. And, um, that's one example. I think squats would be an even worse one, but I think right. something that I've learned is that the more advanced you get after that newbie phase, let's say, as you get gain some of this neurological efficiency and you become better at taking the target muscle very specifically to failure, you actually see a decrease in volume needs because now your three sets of lat pulldowns are way more efficient 
effective per rep. You're getting way more tension in the target muscle, so you don't need five sets. And so I do feel like there's this like intermediary range where people actually need a little bit more volume because they're actually getting less out of their sets. And so there's so many fucking moving parts to this question. And and when I when I made a post on this, I was trying to end with a general recommendation. I think I said six to ten sets per muscle group per week. And then for hypertrophy, very gently biased towards the length and position, very gently. I think mm-hmm. doing both is from a regional perspective, probably best. But if you had to gently tip into one direction, maybe length and bias. But, you know, the more words that came out of my mouth, the more I was like, shit, this is just something where if you're the average person listening to this, which if you've made it 40 minutes into this podcast, I don't know if that's you, but I applaud anybody who's still, you know, the average person listening to us right now. Um, <laughs> deep here. Yeah. Um, and if you are that person, like I would probably just hire a coach and offload some of this, this thinking to, you know, when, when you're right, I have a podcast where it teaches people to write their own program. And like, I listened back to it to see, cause I want to redo it. Um, and I just, not that I cringe. It's all wrong. I just cringe that it's, you know, it, it, it really is, unfortunately a little bit more you know you can get pretty damn close i think we can all give people a shotgun and say hey point it there shoot keep trying hard and you'll gain but like there is something between a shotgun and a sniper of like moving along with the with this amount of specificity we can have in terms of programming which again is not necessary and most people can get super you know i I, i've talked about getting community pool jacked which is like what most people want they don't need to be like stage jacked they want to be like go to my community pool and look pretty damn good and i think most people can get there without getting so into the weeds here. If you're doing something like 10 sets per muscle group per week. And you know, most people, if they picked 10, 10 sets for glutes, I'm sure there'd be some short and some uh, length of position. So most people are going to get pretty damn close. But you know, if you do ask that question, it does come with like a, this like buttload of, of nuance. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing is like anyone you hear discuss, this never has a, Hey, this is the answer or, I think anyone that is giving out good prescriptions never has a like, Hey, this is the answer. Because as you said, like it varies so damn much. And even when we're looking at, like, you made a good point of like, okay, am I training the iliac lat? Am I training the lumbar lat? Am I training the thoracic lat? Like even within that, like when I'm programming for someone, I'm looking at like progressions on every single movement week to week, which is like from my end, not the most time efficient, but I also think it's how I can really give people the best service. Um, and Andrea, our other coach does the same thing. Uh, so it's so much like a, even within like lats, there's more nuance than just like, okay, well, like my, my lats, I don't think are progressing as quick. I'm going to add a bunch of sets here. Yeah. I also think that sometimes my lats aren't progressing so much is not always, you know, uh, uh, okay, well, more sets is going to help, you know? And so sometimes less sets are going to help. And and sometimes it's a change in exercise selection or the exercise order. Your lats are lagging because you do them at the end. Like you treat them like calves, you know? And so there's a lot of, of, (laughs) you know, and I hate, I hate sounding like this is in, uh, I don't, I never want these discussions to make it seem like this hypertrophy training is inaccessible to the average person. You know, I don't, I know there are people listening that are like, man, I just won't even bother. And I hate that. And I don't want anybody to feel that way. What I want people to feel like is, hey, this maybe isn't something I should try and go alone. This is something that, okay, let me, I, I, that, you know, you don't try and, you know, maybe you do, you go on WebMD, you try and diagnose yourself, but you go see a freaking doctor because you know that this is not something you know enough about. And so if you're listening to this podcast, I love when my clients want to learn. Anybody who's still listening to this, I love that you're here because I love that this is something that you're like, hey, I might not know a lot about. And maybe I do have a coach, but I still am interested in. And I love that. But there's also an element of accepting that this is something that, you know, if you want to take seriously, that there's like there are professionals who've spent their lives learning about this stuff, that that might be a good route to go. Let's talk about exercise. uh, Nope, not exercise selection. Let's talk about technique. Um, I made a uh, like I made a post once about this hierarchy of the variables and listed them in order of importance. And I got a lot of not a lot of, but I got a couple of comments that technique wasn't high enough on that list and that that technique should be number one most important thing ever. Um, And I think where I might diverge and I'll hand it over to you is like, well, it depends if we're talking about good enough technique or perfect technique. So I'd love to hear your take on that. So basically you're saying like how important is perfect technique? I mean, the thing within that is it is going to vary again. It's going to vary a lot between the individual. Uh, Like we could look at like your back squat and my back squat, like our perfect back squat technique is probably going to look quite a bit different. I'm super tall. I guess I don't know how tall you are. I don't know what your anatomy is like, but um, it's, that is going to vary. I think that we should always be working to improve technique. I think that we can get to the point where, okay. So like there is going to be a foundation of good enough technique 
that is very important, right? Like growing stimulating muscle growth in any given tissue is going to require placing tension on said muscle tissue, right? And you could do like, let's say a hack squat again. And if your technique isn't good enough, you won't actually apply tension well enough in the target muscle tissue to create growth, right? So I do think that good technique is very important. And I also think we could constantly striving to improve our technique, right? Because I think like, I know even for me, like I'm, I've been lifting for like 10 years now, not that you can tell from looking at me, but I have been, um, and I'm still constantly taking form videos, looking at like, where can I improve? But I think that on the flip side, a lot of times people use like focusing on perfect technique as like, okay, well, I just need to go lighter. I need to go lighter. I need to, and like never actually pushing themselves. So I do think there is like a, I do think there's a fine line where, okay, this is good enough. This is what we could consider good technique. There are a few things you can improve, but with how you're performing this, it is safe for you to push and get close to failure, right? Whereas again, like a lot of people I mentioned before, like a lot of times our first mesocycle is very much focusing on improving technique before we push to like zero one RIR. Now I'm still having those clients send me form videos for months and months because there's always something we could improve. But after that first mesocycle, typically it's like, Hey, well, this isn't perfect. Like you are, you have the basics of the movement down. You are executing this movement. Well, we're going to continue to improve, but now you're in a good place where you can push the intensity and actually see significant gains from this as we continue to improve technique. Does that answer make sense? Yeah, I think that that's, I would agree with all of that. I think that there's a, there's a threshold. I want to get you to ASAP. And that threshold sounds a lot like you're not going to kill yourself. This form is good enough that it's safe. I think safety is our number one. It's like, Hey, if I look at my, if we're looking at technique, the first thing I need from you is safe technique across the board. The second thing I need is optimizing technique from there. And I think that that's a very two-step process where if I can get your technique to a place where it's safe and generally effective, I'm thinking of like, you know, an, an RDL to a point where you're not rounding in the lumbar. I think, right. I think that would be my number one thing that I'm looking for. It's like, okay, now where you're hinging and you're keeping a neutral spine. Now we can look at some of the other technique points that might make this go from good to great. And so I think that having perfect technique is overrated. Having good enough technique where it's safe and effective is underrated. And I was laughing because I, I go to, I go to a commercial gym for the first the last two years, but before that I had not been in a commercial gym basically ever. Um, and I see so many jacked people with shitty technique. And that is not a, that's not a, that's not saying technique's not important. What I am saying is you like, you know, if you eat the food, you lift the weights, you go close to failure, you sleep the hours, like you're going to freaking grow. Now you might get injured and you might not grow as well as if you had perfect technique. But I think getting somebody like rushing somebody to safe and effective technique and then taking one step back and being like, okay, we've made it here where you're safe and you can push hard. But maybe you could suck the chin back in neutral a little bit more. Maybe you could move your arm a little bit lower or the cable a little bit higher or, you know, keep your elbows a little bit more in place for the bicep curl. Like some of these nuances, that's cool. But I think having good technique is underrated. I think having perfect technique or at least, like you said, making that a hindrance for you actually being able to push hard. Um, and I think a question that people need to ask themselves is, is would my technique improve meaningfully if I took some load off of? off the bar, let's say, or off the leg press or so whatever it is. Okay. And my range of motion would, would improve. Would my technique improve? The answer is yes. Then you make that trade. You do. Right. You definitely do. Cause we nip that in the button now and we build back up from good technique. But if your answer is no, and it's more of like, Hey, I'm just not doing something I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just stopping short of full range of motion or whatever it is. And it's more of an intent thing or something that's going on up in your brain where you're just choosing not to, to, to do something, lean forward on a lateral race, whatever it is. Um, then those are different. Those are different stories for me. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, I think that very similarly, I think people get so caught up in like, well, I should have the best mind muscle connection. I should really feel this. So I'm going to continue to go lighter and lighter and lighter and really try to squeeze and really like put my brain and my muscle and think so hard about what's going on there. That again, I think a lot of times people can kind of miss the forest for the trees, but that's almost a different conversation. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's do, uh, let's do, there are a couple more variables we were, we had hoped to get to, but we're coming up on an hour. Let's do a discussion really quick about the difference potentially between RIR and RPE, why you use one of them, why you don't use the other one. And, and we can discuss kind of, uh, its implication in training. Yeah. So RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion. So basically we're working here on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like an all out effort. Um, eight would be, I kind of like to look at RPE as RIR flips. So eight, we're kind of looking at it as, okay, I have about two reps left 
in the tank. Now, on the, I really like RIR on the other hand is reps and reserve, right? So if I'm hitting a two RIR, that means I'm stopping movement from my definition where we could only do two more reps while maintaining good technique, right? Not like a, Hey, I could do five more rounded back RDLs, but like I can maintain good technique throughout this. So basically they're both just ways to gauge your effort. Now for hypertrophy training, I like RIR um, because I think it's easier for most people to grasp. Like if I said, Hey, give us about 80% of your total effort or give me an eight or eight out of 10 effort, right? Like it's a lot harder to kind of gauge where exactly that is. Whereas if I say, Hey, take it to this point where you only have two reps left in the neck with good form. I think that's a lot easier to grasp. And again, this all ties back to that idea of effective reps that we discussed earlier, getting close enough to failure to simulate muscle growth. For my end, I think RIR is just easier to grasp. I do think like if you are training, like if you're a powerlifter, for example, I think RPE probably has more application because they were looking more at like force output on any given rep rather than like, hey, what's our proximity to failure like? But really for hypertrophy training specifically, I think RIR is just easier for people to understand. It's not that one is necessarily better than the other. It's just easier for most people to understand in my experience. Yep. I think I agree with that because I think if we both, if we agree that they are for practical purposes, just flipped. And so a zero RIR Mm -hmm. is a 10 RPE. And so zero reps in the tank is the same as a 10 out of 10 effort. Then we can say, okay, well, then it doesn't really matter what you use. As long as it makes sense in your brain, you can apply it well and you can get you know, appropriately close to failure when necessary. And so when we look at that, we're like, okay, we can use both. And so this discussion is already kind of moot where it's like, if you're using RPE and you're doing great and you're, you know what a 10 means, you know what a nine is, you know, you know that eight is probably around two reps in the tank, then you're doing great. You don't need to change anything. But I think when we discuss specifically for hypertrophy that there, we know from the literature that it actually does take getting almost a specific amount of reps from failure. It's almost, mm-hmm. you could almost break it down to the, like literally what the, what the term RIR means. Like we know that the five reps prior to failure, the five hardest mm-hmm. reps, the last five or whatever you want to call it are the most stimulative. That RIR seems to be a little bit more specific to what we're trying to do. Where like, right. you know, an eight, if you, again, if it's an eight and you're viewing that, if you're flipping it in your head and you're saying, okay, it's eight, that means two in the tank. Well then why not just use RIR? Cause that's what you're doing in your brain anyway. Um, I also think you, the powerlifting example is a good one. I think when you're doing really, really, really heavy sets for really, really low reps, like doing a triple and trying to acknowledge how many more you could have done might not be as specific as saying, Hey, this was a pretty hard triple. And sometimes it comes down to like bar speed and technique. And there's a little bit more nuance when we're talking about singles, doubles, triples, fours, and fives. Like, and so I think RPE does kind of win out there, but, um, I also think that if you're listening to this and you think both of them are super confusing, that that, that makes sense too. I think this is not something that RIR is just going to make a fucking ton of sense right away and you're going to immediately know what two RIR feels like. I think both of them are going to take practice. I just very gently like you lean towards RIR because I think it's a little bit more specific to what we're actually trying to do, which is get within a, a couple of reps from failure. So why not use the term that actually means exactly that? Right. No, I couldn't agree more. And that's like within like powerlifting, for example, we don't want to, uh, so much of that is about like us being able to move bar very quickly. So I say us like a powerlifter, but uh, we don't want as many of those grinding reps all the time. Or again, like for hypertrophy, we do probably want to be like at one to two RAR for a good amount of our training. So yeah, just the application is a little different. Nice. All right, man. We're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Do some name dropping. Do some podcast dropping. You have an awesome podcast. Tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you, dude. First and foremost, man, it's been an honor to be on. Um, You can check me out. My podcast is Living Lean. Follow me on Instagram at Jeremiah Bear. Um, We have a blog that we put a ton of work into. Great content there. That is at barefit.com b-a-i-r-f-i-t.com very soon to be elevated coaching systems.com and that is really where you can find me cool excellent man thanks for coming on super fun chat we'll have to do it again soon of course dude thank you for having me